Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you don't, you probably could find one. But if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to look there to see what we can just learn about a little bit about baptism. Baptism is something that uh, through the ages has been a really hot spot of contention. And uh, tonight we can't go into all of the disagreements. But I want to look at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the chapter, when the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit is poured out. There is the first instance of people speaking in tongues, languages they, did, they didn't even know. And everybody was hearing the gospel being preached by the apostles in their own native tongue. And it was, um, it was quite the miracle and a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There was a sound of a wind and there was like tongues of fire, whatever that is, distributing on on the people and the apostles and and what's interesting is is this is the first holy spirit inspired sermon of the church and uh and i like because i'm into preaching i like to look and see what they said uh you know when you talk, we talk about the gospel and what should you say when you preach the gospel here peter is going to be preaching to a, a whole bunch of jews um who knew the law and knew the prophecies about the Messiah. They uh, were anticipating the Messiah would come, hoping he would come. They knew about baptism because at that time, baptism was something that was practiced. Different groups and cults and sects and even Jews would sometimes be baptized to commit themselves into a certain way or a certain movement or a certain commitment. So they all knew about these things. And, and so... Follow along as I read, starting in verse 14, and just, I want you to take note of how Peter, moved by the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and uh, women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and the signs of the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here Peter um, quotes this prophecy from Joel. And he does it mostly for the first part and the last part because the prophecy speaks of the spirit being poured out. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The middle part is is something that's still happening in the future. But he quotes the whole thing to tie in their, their thinking they were drunk because they were speaking in languages, different languages. And, and though a certain group could hear the apostles preach in their native tongue, other people were thinking, well, it, it sounds like Babel to me because they didn't understand that language. And verse 22 goes on to say, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 
But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence, brethren. I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that both that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when he heard this, they who were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now, let's just stop there. Look at me right here. Look at me in the face. What would you tell them? Don't look down. No cheating. I know your eyes are just you just want to look so bad. Don't do it. You know, this is very interesting, isn't it? Here, Peter tells them, quotes the messianic prophecies, reminds them of the Christ, that he was a descendant of David and David was in the tomb. So it couldn't have been spoken of him because he rotted in the grave and his tomb tomb was still with them to that day. It spoke of the Christ who who was the Lord, who said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool for Sarah. Even though he was David's son or descendant, yet he was David's Lord. And so he throws out all these prophecies and says, and it was Jesus, and we're all witnesses of it. And when he says this to them, they're all pierced to the heart, and they say, what shall we do? Now, you think that Peter, is he going to say, well, you need to ask Jesus in your heart. You need to pray a prayer. You need to walk forward. You need to what? Let's look. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at verse 38 here. We know about repentance. We've talked about it many times. Repentance is kind of, uh, kind of the, the twin sister, or the, the kind of opposite of faith, where when you come to Christ in faith, you trust Christ, you believe in Christ, you receive Christ. Those are the terms the scriptures use. And when you turn to Jesus in faith, trusting in him, you have to let go of, turn from whatever you were living for before that, your sin, your idol, whatever it is. So when the Bible says repent and believe sometimes or just repent or just believe, it implies a letting go of and turning from whatever you were living for before Christ and making a turn from that thing, that person to 
Jesus. So repentance is a necessary part of faith. You cannot have saving faith without repentance and you cannot have true repentance without saving faith because they go together. So when he says repent, that's what he's talking about. And the Jews, they would have known this because the prophets spoke in great detail of repentance and what exactly it looked like. But also notice that when you have this word repentance, he then says, be baptized. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, some have taken this to say, well, that means that you need to be baptized or you can't be forgiven. No, that's not what it's saying. The scriptures make it clear we are forgiven when we place saving faith or repent of our sins or repent and believe. But what also is interesting is when he says here, you need to repent and be baptized. The critical thing that you need to consider is that baptism was so automatic, of course you would get baptized, that no one would ever truly repent without wanting to be baptized. Since Jesus in the Great Commission said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, When he made that commission, his commission was go make disciples or lead people to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Once they get saved, baptize them. So there was really never a thought in the early church that anyone would would profess to be a follower of Christ and not get baptized. That would be like saying, well, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, but I'm not going to follow him. You know, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to keep his commandments. So really, there was never an instance back then when anybody had a shadow of a doubt that if you came to Christ in saving faith, you would get baptized. You would get baptized. Now, the problem that has made things a little complex when you study the New Testament is the the New Testament mentions several kinds of baptism. There is the baptism of repentance. Remember when John the Baptist showed up and he was he was, you know, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And all those people were coming down to the Jordan and and he was telling them that the Messiah was coming and they needed to repent to prepare to meet the Messiah. So that is what is called a baptism of repentance. It is kind of a way of saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I want to be baptized because I believe the Messiah is coming. So that's what happened with John the Baptist. Later on, Jesus spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul speaks of this. This is often described as spirit baptism. You say, well, what's that? Well, that is when you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are placed into, like 1 Corinthians 12 says, each of us, when we place our faith in Christ, we are placed into, baptized into, submersed into the spiritual body of Christ. So there's also also a spirit kind of baptism. And all that means is you receive the Holy Spirit when you are truly saved and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus also spoke of a baptism of fire. Doesn't sound very good, does it? And it's not. Uh, the the whole point was, is Jesus is one who evil, will either baptize you with the Holy Spirit if you believe. But if you don't believe, you get baptized into what? Fire. The lake of fire. 
And fourthly, Jesus used baptism figuratively to just describe going through the ordeal of his death, burial, and resurrection. He said, I have a baptism to undergo. And what he was talking about, I'm just going to be falsely accused and tried and you know, tortured to death and crucified, um, all that he feared will be used as baptism. But what we we're talking about is, is what is called believer's baptism. What Jesus commanded in the great commission, it is to be submersed into water as a public profession of one's faith in Jesus Christ and to picture through the baptism act his death, burial, and resurrection to walk in newness of life. Because you think about it, when you have a baptism, you're taking somebody and uh, they give a testimony that they want to follow the Lord. We've seen it tonight. They want to follow the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. And then what do you do? They die to their old life. They go into the water and are resurrected to walk in newness of life, as Paul describes in Romans 6. That we are to die to sin, to walk in newness of life. So the whole baptism is a great picture of being united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And a repentance, a dying to the old life, to walk, to be resurrected, to walk in a new life. And to publicly tell people, listen... I'm a Christian and I want to follow Jesus. So that's what baptism is for. And that's called believer's baptism because in the scriptures we see believers being baptized. Now, even though there has been a lot of discussion about, well, what is the right mode of baptism? Uh, You know, should we sprinkle? Should we pour? Should we submerse? Should we dip? Or should we triple submerse? And those are kind of the ones that you find in various groups. Any Greek lexicon, and I think I have, I don't know, 10 or 11 of them in my office, will tell you the word means to immerse, plunge, or sink into. Um, It was used of dyeing cloth. You know, when you want to dye cloth, you don't just get a little bit of the dye and sprinkle it on the garment. You plunge into the dye. So baptism means to immerse or submerse into. And we see water baptism described clearly in several texts, like in Mark's cha- Mark chapter 1, verse 5, which says of John the Baptist, and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Well, right there, you have to say, so they were getting baptized by the Jordan or next to the Jordan, but in the Jordan. And, you know, you, I'm sure they didn't go down there, wade out into the water, and John reached down, get a little sprinkle, and I was like, well, why did I just get wet? You, you could do that back in Jerusalem. In verse 9 of Mark 1, Mark says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River, in the river. Which indicates that, yeah, he, he submersed them. I mean, why else, why wait, why wait out into the river if you're going to get sprinkled or have a little water poured on you? And what's really clear is in John chapter 3, verse 23, it says, because uh, John, John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River, because there was much water there. 
Obviously, there's a huge river and there's lots of water there. So it's a great place to baptize. Now, the question is, if sprinkling, if God wants us to sprinkle or pour or dip, then why would he, why would you need much water? You know, you can go a long way with a cup of water if you're sprinkling. In Mark chapter 3, verse 16, it describes Jesus' baptism. And we are told, and after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. He came up out of the water. In Acts chapter 8, verse 38, after the church was born, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by Philip. And we read that he went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So it's pretty clear just from the scriptures that baptism is to be by immersion. That's what we see um, in all the accounts which give us any sort of detail. So we have both Jesus' command to believers that they need to be baptized. We have the symbolism that baptism portrays and also the public profession that goes along with it. And so these are the things that are kind of brought into baptism. Why would you want to be baptized? Well, I want to obey Jesus. I want to symbolize his death, burial, and resurrection to walk in newness of life. I want to give a public profession of my faith. So Jesus commanded these things, and it's what we see modeled in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. Now, I have people sometimes say, well, Pastor Jack, is there any reason not to be baptized or to delay baptism? Well, obviously, if you don't know Christ, you wouldn't want to get baptized. But um, let's just say that you you think you're a Christian or you're pretty sure you're a Christian or you call yourself a Christian and you're wondering, I haven't been baptized and I'm wondering if I should right away or, you know, the next baptism service or whatever, say to hold off a little bit. Well, you know, you might want to delay if there is enough water to be submersed, but we've got that taken care of. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. But, you know, if you came to Christ on a backpacking trip in the Mojave Desert, um, you could probably, you could wait till you got back. Um, if you couldn't find a puddle big enough for somebody to dump you in. Um, you might postpone being baptized until maybe you get before a larger body of believers. You know, you, you might come to Christ in a smaller setting or one-on-one and, and yeah, you know, you could say, well, let's go find a pool right now, get baptized. And you know what? You could do that. But really it's a public profession, isn't it? Um, what was neat about in Idaho is we would baptize people in the river, the Boise River that just went through town during the warmer parts of the summer. We'd always save a big baptism service. And, and there were all these people who would go to the park for picnics and things. And they're going, what's going on? What are those people doing on there? And they'd all come and they kind of stand in the back and they'd hear people give testimonies to their faith in Christ. It was great. And, uh, and get baptized. And so, and so, you know, you might want to, if you were away and came to Christ, yes, but you know, you're not away and here you are. And so that doesn't really apply here either. You might want to hold off getting baptized until you understand what baptism is and isn't. But again, I just told you, so that's not an excuse anymore. (laughs) But you know, you want to make sure that when people are baptized, they don't think, well, if I get baptized, I get to go to heaven. Or if I get baptized, it'll save me. Or if I get baptized, God will like me. You know, there are a lot of, we get trained and we just think things that are crooked and wrong. And so you want to make sure that before somebody gets baptized, they have an adequate understanding of what they were doing. In in Pentecost, the Jews all understood baptism. And so there was no need really for any explanation. It was just repent and be baptized. 
And they said, okay. And so, you know, they baptized about 3,000, I think, that first day. You think of how long that took? 3,000? You know, even if you divided that up among 12, that's still a lot of people being baptized. And you might want to postpone baptism if your life as a Christian or supposed Christian doesn't really reflect the fruit of repentance. You know, sometimes um, parents come to me and they say things, you know, um, you know, my teenager or my son or my daughter or whatever, they want to get baptized. And, you know, I don't know, should, should, we, should we let them get baptized or whatever? And I said, well, uh, what do you think, you know, might be some criteria? And they said, well, I don't know. It's like, you don't know. Are they br- bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? Do they love the Lord? Are they reading his word? Are they pursuing righteousness? I mean, do they have a desire to live like a Christian? Are they making efforts to live like a Christian? Are they just coming to church because you come to church and pray because you pray and, you know, you do, you tell them what to do. So you're the motivation of their Christian life. Well, if that's the case. No, no, they shouldn't be baptized. But if you see really them pursuing the Lord and desiring to follow Christ and hungering for righteousness and having an understanding of the word and, and just you know, you can tell when someone comes to Christ, it's pretty obvious that they've been born again. And so there are some instances where if the fruit isn't there, if they're not walking with the Lord, then you probably want to not baptize them. So those are some of the reasons why you might want to hold off. But other than that, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus commands you to be baptized in water before people to publicly make a profession of faith in him. Now, whenever you start baptizing people, though, and, you know, we have a lot of people coming here from a lot of different backgrounds. Like, well, what if I was baptized by an infant? You know, as an infant, um, should I be re-baptized? You weren't baptized by an infant. Jane, <laughs> Jane. As an infant, it's a small two-letter word, just replaced... So yeah, you were baptized as an infant. Should you get rebaptized again? You know, should you do that again? Um, so we have people ask us that. Well, the Bible teaches that you come to faith in Christ and then in obedience, your obedience to Christ, you get baptized so that you can make a public profession of your faith. So have you done that as an infant? No. So you need to be baptized like the scriptures say. But other people say, well, what if I was baptized by sprinkling or pouring as an adult after I became a Christian and I did give testimony? Well, when that happens, we just let people deal with it as a matter of personal conviction. I think the scriptures are clear that baptism is by immersion, but the mode is not so important that you stand up before people and say, I want to follow Christ. So that you put your reputation as a Christian on the line and you let people know, listen, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus and I'm going to follow him so that when you don't, we can rebuke you. Now, some people say, but what if I was baptized by immersion and I thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't. And later on. Now that I've come to Christ, I realize I got baptized, yes, the right way, the right mode. But now I realize I wasn't even a Christian then. What should I do? Well, first you place your faith in Christ and then you obey the Lord's command 
to get baptized by submersion and publicly give testimony to desire to follow him. So yeah, you need to be baptized. And what if I was baptized as a believer at another church and then came to this church and I get rebaptized? No. What if I'm a believer, but I don't want to get baptized because I don't like to be in front of people. I've got water phobia. Um, what would that be? Hydrophobia or something? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's a scientific name of it. I'm scared of water. Uh, you know, I, I just uh, don't like people. I don't like water. I don't want to go under. I don't want anybody dipping me under, you know, and whatever. Um, then I would say, well, then don't tell people you're a Christian. Don't tell people you're a Christian until you want to follow Christ in the first and most simplest way. I mean, that's the first thing he said, right? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them right off the bat in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then spend the rest of your life teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You know, I, I would, I, I just say, you know, people come to me and say, no, I don't really want to get baptized. Then what you're saying is I don't want to obey Christ. I don't want to follow Christ. And that's not good. That's, it's not Christian. And so if you're out there thinking, well, I haven't gotten baptized. Well, then get baptized. Well, I'm scared. Do it anyways. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. One of the elders will baptize you. And if you claw them, they're fine with that. Get them down in the water. Usually it's not near as bad as people. I have had people up there hyperventilating in the little waiting room. You know, I almost had to give them a brown paper sack. They were so scared of getting in front of people. And you know what? God's grace was sufficient. They came out and got calm after a little bit and realized that, you know, none of you threw any tomatoes or rocks. (laughs) They escaped. They came up out of the water. I didn't drown them. I didn't even come close. And uh, and they escaped a, a fate worse than death um, in their own minds. So yeah, we, you need to get baptized. And that's what the scriptures say. It's how we honor the Lord. It's how we um, show our love to him from the very get-go as new believers. And so you need to make sure you do that. If uh, If you haven't been baptized already, start making plans and get baptized. If you know the Lord and love the Lord, and there's fruit of repentance in your life. All right, Tim, where are you? Come on, Tim, come on. Let me pray, and Tim's going to lead us in the last song. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for just this ordinance of baptism which you have given us so that we can trust you, so we can follow you, so we can symbolize our unity with you in your death, burial, and resurrection, and so that we can publicly tell people we're Christians and we're going to follow Jesus Father, I pray that Calvary Bible Church would be faithful to um, encourage people to obey Christ in this way. And in doing that, they would find a great blessing. And Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.